And I'd encourage you to, uh, to take your Bibles and turn there with me. Psalm chapter 50. Uh, we've spent our summer in the Psalms and we have a few more weeks uh, in the Psalter, God's hymn book as we've been calling it. Uh, it's been a great exploration of the full spectrum of emotions that God's people experience and that God's people cry out uh, to the Lord, to their God. Cries of adoration, cries of lament, cries of thanksgiving, cries of desperation, cries of utter joy, cries of praise to our great God. Well, this morning our psalm is a bit different from all those descriptors that I just used. It's a psalm of Asaph. So you remember Asaph, at least many of you do, from earlier this summer. Asaph was the writer of Psalm 73, that wonderful heart cry in Psalm 73 where Asaph says, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's a great cry, a great heart cry that we looked at earlier this summer. But unlike Psalm 73, this psalm today is not the cry of Asaph's heart. No, we might say that this psalm and the words in this psalm are more appropriately an expression of God's heart. You see, Asaph, the ancient uh, worship leader, as we called him, I think, when we studied Psalm 73, is, is fulfilling a, a role in the life of God's people that in some ways is more significant than the role of just putting his emotions to verse and to meter so that God's people can sing it as part of worship. Now here in Psalm 50, Asaph is Asaph the prophet. See, in 2 Chronicles, he is called that. He is called Asaph, the seer of God, the prophet of God. And this is not a prophet as we often think of prophets as one who simply knows and, and speaks about the future. No, Asaph is a prophet in the sense that Asaph is a mouthpiece of God. Of course, we say in some sense all writers of Scripture are speaking God's Word through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But here in Psalm 50, and also in many of the Old Testament writings, in much of the Old Testament prophetic literature, God's words are spoken to His people in a very pointed way. In a way that holds God's people accountable for their actions. Many of the Old Testament prophetic writings are essentially lawsuits. They are cases against God's people from God Himself. And of course, this goes back to the, the concept of the covenant, a word that we talk a lot about in this church. And rightly so. A covenant is an agreement between two parties in which promises and threats and, and obligations are laid out for each party to follow. And in the case of the Lord, it refers to God's sovereign choice of a people. His promise to be their God. 
to allow them to enjoy all the benefits and blessings of what it means to be his people. All the while, while they walk in obedience to his commands. And this covenant, this covenant theme becomes then the organizing principle for how we see God dealing with his people throughout the scriptures, Old and New Testament. And I know that that was a lengthy introduction, but I felt like I wanted to give you some context. I wanted to give you some background even before we read Psalm 50. Because Psalm 50 is essentially a lawsuit. It's essentially a lawsuit that comes as a violation of the terms of the covenant. And so let me read it, and then let's talk about it for a few moments This is God's Word. Psalm 50. Follow along in your bulletins if you don't have a Bible. The Mighty One, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before Him is a devouring fire. Around Him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that He may judge His people. Gather to Me, My faithful ones, who made a covenant with Me by sacrifice. The heavens declare His righteousness, for God Himself is judge. Hear, O My people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills. And all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and all its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked God says, what right have you? to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips. For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him. You keep, adult, you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I have been silent. You thought that I was like, that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and I lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you 
spoke to your people long ago, the message that we just read, the message that we just heard. Father, speak to us again that same word, for these are not just ancient words, these are living words, they are words of life. And so take hearts that are naturally hard and make them impressionable. Take eyes that are naturally blind and and distracted and help them to see clearly. And take our wills that are so naturally stubborn and and self-centered and cause them to submit to your word, to your will, to your ways. Oh, Father, this we pray in the name of our Savior, who sits at your right hand even now, the risen Christ, interceding for his people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 50 is a heavy psalm in many ways. It's not a light-hearted psalm. But it has much to teach us this morning. And I want to think about this psalm in three truths for us to meditate on, for us to frame our thinking around this, this morning. And for many of us, for maybe all of us, the first truth is an obvious one. And it's simply this, when God speaks, He demands attention. When God speaks, He demands attention. You see, the first couple verses of Psalm 50, they, they set a scene for us, a scene that is quite fearful. Let me read for you a description, a, a vivid description of, of, of the scene as it's found here in Psalm 50. We are seated in a courtroom, vast and deep and awful in its holiness. Its walls, its ceiling, and its floor are the boundaries of the universe. And now the Holy One of Israel sweeps in among us, brilliant with the light of His righteousness, full of power and mystery, beautiful to behold. And He is enraged. He is bubbling over with rage. He has been patient long enough. He will not hold His peace any longer. Flames blaze forth from His judicial robes, whipped about by whirlwinds, intensified by their flames' own heat. His thundering voice commands heaven and earth to witness the trial of His people and proclaim His righteousness. You see, God reveals Himself through Asaph here as majestic, as glorious, as grandiose in the fullest sense of the word. Three Hebrew words drive home the gravity of who He is. Elohim, the Mighty One. El, which is simply translated God. And Yahweh, the Lord. It's essentially as if Asaph is saying, God, God, the Lord. When one hears that, you can't help but think of Isaiah chapter 6 and and his vision of the Lord. 
seated on a throne high and lifted up, constantly attended with the words, Holy, Holy, Holy. And what effect did that vision have on Isaiah? It completely unraveled him. He was undone. Why has God chosen to reveal himself in such a fearful, terrible way? Well, first, because God is communicating again who He is. He is not like us. He is not one of us. And yet, God's people, by their actions, show that they seem to have forgotten this fact. There are strong words spoken in this psalm. There are also wonderful promises held out in this psalm. But those words of judgment and those promises are only as good as the one who speaks them. Someone can come up to you on a street and demand that you give them your wallet, but if they have a squirt gun in their hand, there's nothing to fear. There's nothing to be concerned about. But here, make no mistake, God is to be feared. He is to be heard. He is to be heeded. He is God like no other. But he also reveals himself in this way because of what he has come to do. And what he has come to communicate to his people through Psalm 50. He's not coming to console. He's not coming to bring comfort. At least not initially. He comes to sit in judgment. His word here is not a healing balm for us. It is a hammer. It is a a chisel for us. This is a trial. This is heavy stuff. God the covenant maker has become God the covenant prosecutor. And he also is the judge. As he lays out the case, he presides over the proceedings. And he will make judgment. And so, God calls this courtroom scene together. His faithful ones, his people are the accused. He himself is the prosecutor and the judge, and the witnesses are the earth. The heavens above and the earth below. When God speaks, he demands attention. What does this mean for us today? Well, God hasn't changed. He still is this God, He is not aloof. He still speaks to us today, not audibly in our ears, but by His Spirit, through His Word, through our worship. He is speaking to us right now. And that brings us to the second truth, which is really the heart of the psalm this morning. And really where I want to spend most of our time. The second truth for us is that God demands the worship of your heart. God demands the worship of your heart. See, this message is the heart of the psalm. We first discover what the Lord was not rebuking His people for. Verse 8 says, Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. Now, though we know that God is concerned with how we worship Him, we see that in other places of Scripture. God is concerned about how we worship Him. But here, in Psalm 50, God is not concerned about the form of our worship. 
He's concerned about what's behind the form. And so we might say that the first charge that God has against His people is empty formalism. Empty formalism. Yes, the sacrifices were there. They were proper. But they were empty. They were mere ritual. They were merely checking a box. You see, the attitude had crept into God's people that somehow they were adding something to God as they brought these things to Him. That God was benefiting from them. That they were God's benefactor. Some people in the ancient world thought this of their gods. The pagan gods were treated in this way. These gods who were made just a little higher than we as humans. Then when you brought something to these gods, you could manipulate them. You could manipulate their behavior by giving or withholding things from them. And to this kind of culture, and to this climate, God speaks and says, I don't need you. Have you forgotten that all is mine? I don't need your sacrifices. It reminded me of the situation that I, that I found myself in as a little boy all the time. Around Christmas time, I, I want to give a gift to my dad. These were in pre-job days and pre-allowance days even. And I, I didn't have anything to give to my dad. And so mostly I gave like gift certificates for like back scratches and, and car washes and that kind of stuff. But I remember every once in a while there was like, at my school there were tables set up with dad type gifts. And we'd take a free period of our day and we'd go and, and shop for these gifts for our parents. But I didn't have any money. I didn't have any money, so where did I get the money? Dad, can I have some money? Of course, Dad would give me money to buy a gift for him. And I loved it. And he loved it. Now, why would my dad want such a gift? One that came from his wallet anyway? Because it wasn't about the gift. It wasn't about the gift. It was about my desire as his little boy, as his son, to honor my father. It was my humble gratitude for him being my dad, for him being my caregiver, my protector. That's what it was all about. And here in Psalm 50, it's not as if the forms of worship are Meaningless. It's not as if our forms of worship are meaningless. They aren't, but they are God's gift to us. They are for us. They are to set our hearts and to set our affections aright. And of course, God's people have struggled this through, struggled with this throughout history. The prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 29, they honor God with their lips but their hearts are far from Him. Wasn't this the accusation of Jesus against the Pharisees? They had the outward show, but there was nothing inside. 
So Psalm 50, God's word this morning, it pierces us concerning our worship. It pierces me concerning my worship. Concerning even my participation in our forms of worship. And hopefully it emanates beyond even the worship. Even this worship service into our walk with Christ. You're here this morning and you're here most Sunday mornings. But where is your heart? You tithe this morning or you will tithe this morning. And you have every week this year. But where is your treasure? You read your Bible a few times this week. But what has really guided your thoughts? You prayed as much as you could. But what really did you place your trust in? See, God's Word calls us this morning to examine our own hearts and to, if necessary, to leave empty formalism behind. God doesn't need your outward show, but He wants your heart. Now, interestingly enough, I talked in some sense during the announcement time about the fact that we're introducing a new form if I can use that word, to our church calendar, to our church culture. A new discipleship ministry for you to be a part of, for you to be in attendance of. But it's not about the form. It's not an end in itself. It is a means to an end. It is a means meant to stir your heart to stir your heart with to greater love and affection for your for your savior that would result in greater obedience and and how 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 do we get to this point how do our heart how are our hearts stirred in this way beyond these outward forms well our psalm helps us see our psalm introduces us to who god is we see who god is we're humbled once again at our need We're dependent upon Him. We're in awe of His promise of deliverance in Jesus. We're in awe at the hope of future grace that is held out before us in Him. And we really begin to digest all that that is. All those Gospel truths. And they become the affections of our heart that make us glad in God and and drive us to pursue this God and to make Him our treasure. Again, the forms are not insignificant. They move us. They often awaken us out of our slumber. They're designed to do that very thing. They're designed to stir our hearts, but we must let them stir our hearts. Empty formalism. That's the first charge and challenge that God has for His people. But there's a second charge. The Lord, in a sense, heightens the seriousness of the situation in Psalm 50 as He then calls His people, in verse 16, wicked. To the wicked, God says. Now, how do we know these are God's people? Well, these are the ones who are reciting God's law. 
who are taking that law upon their lips, according to verse 16. Now, there are a few things going on here in these verses, but we might say that the second charge, to boil it down, is hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy. Not just empty formalism, but hypocrisy. The people had, according to verse 17, they had taken the Lord's words and they had thrown them to the wind. These are not people who are just trusting in outward forms. They're trusting in those forms alone. And then they're living in direct contradiction to them. And the hypocrisy is seen in a couple different areas. One is the tongue. According to verses 19 and 20, there is deceit, there is gossip, there is slander. They take God's words upon their lips in the mornings and they soil their mouths later in the day. God says, enough. Enough of my people acting this way. Of course, we could talk about that. That's a sermon in and of itself on the tongue. And we could go to James and we could talk about all that the tongue is. But there's another hypocrisy presented in Psalm 50, and it's one that's a bit more subtle. In verse 18 we read, If you see a thief, you're pleased with him. You keep company with adulterers. Notice the the subtlety of God's charge against His people. He's not saying that they're actually stealing. He's not saying that they're actually committing adultery. No, you could say in the strict sense that these things aren't occurring among God's people. So what is the problem? Well, the problem is second-hand sin, we might say. The problem, again, is the heart. Did they have to steal to commit sin? Or could they miss God's mark by simply stealing in their hearts or idly standing by as they watch others take what is not theirs. You see, God reminds His people that He's concerned about their hearts. Now, there are all sorts of applications that we could talk about from, from this. Let me give just a couple. One is that we, as we have in a lot of areas, we have breathed deeply of the cultural air of our individualistic society. And the result is that sometimes we see sin in each other. Sometimes we see sin in our brothers and sisters. And rather than confront it based upon what we're told to do in Matthew chapter 18, we say something like, well, it's, it's their life. It's really none of my business. If I speak, if I say something to them, I'm sure they're just going to get defensive or they'll just get angry. And there's an application for us here that was really echoed This previous week, as many of us gathered as a congregation and talked about some hard things in the life of our church, is that shepherding and the care of of each other begins with you. It begins 
with each other. It begins as we're willing to speak into each other's lives gently. It begins as we're willing to open up to each other and let people speak into our lives. It's this idea of the covenant taken into our families. Luke 17, 3, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So I think that's one application that we could draw from Psalm 50 and from the hypocrisy that, that God charges His people with as they watch sin. But there's another. There's another downfall in the church See, we live in a society with unprecedented access into people's lives. Both real and imaginary. The world of media, movies, music, TV, puts forth all its wares for us to see and for us to enjoy. And the bottom line is that much of what it is, and I'm, you all know me enough to know that I'm not anti-movie, I'm not anti-music. But much of what we see before us is simply sin. It's simply sin. It's sin in speech. It's sin in attitude. It's sin in action. And how easily we can enjoy the sin of others. We can enjoy the sin of others. And we convince ourselves that we can watch, we can be exposed, as long as we ourselves don't commit. We want to get as close as we can sometimes to wickedness without actually going there. And yet, we read passages like the one in Philippians. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And so I think Psalm 50 just reminds us once again, God is a God of holiness. He's a God of purity. We are a people of holiness, a people of purity. Are we watching sin around us? Are we enjoying sin around us? May God give us hearts for purity. Well, one last truth for us to think about, just very briefly. One last truth. Not only does God demand worship from our hearts, but there is no worship apart from Christ. There's no worship apart from Christ. As we come to the end of this psalm, the charges have been stated and the sentence is ready to be passed down. And we find the sentence in verses 22 and verses 23. The consequences of ignoring God are severe. There is no doubt about it. But this psalm is not just about punishment. Now, The point of Psalm 50 is to bring God's people back. 
It's to bring God's people back to the place of restoration. And we see it throughout the psalm. God doesn't want to alienate His people. He wants them to come back. He keeps reminding them that I am your God. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying. Stop thinking that you're adding to me. Repent from your flirting with sin. Thankfully acknowledge your need for me and worship and obey me with genuine hearts. It's at the heart of the psalm in verses 14 and 15. In contrast to the attitude that God needs us, we need to have the humility to acknowledge that we desperately need Him. And we honor Him when we come to Him in our weakness. The word sacrifice is all over this psalm. And it's no mistake Sacrifice was a staple in the life of God's people. And sacrifice is the backbone of our lives as well. Because there's no worship apart from Christ. The salvation of God, as He speaks, has been shown. The Deliverer has come. And the worship of the heart begins by recognizing this and by adoring Jesus. The only one who is worthy. Revelation chapter 5, they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. As you listen to God this morning, as He commands your attention, as you strive to worship Him from your heart, it must begin with Jesus. It must begin with the Gospel. It must begin with the simple all-inspiring fact that Jesus died for you. The Lamb of God is worthy. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning, and we confess that too easily we get lost in the forms of our worship. Too easy it is for us to go through the motions to whether consciously or or merely subconsciously think that, yeah, we've done pretty good. We've done what's been asked of us, and, and that's sufficient. Oh, Father, I pray that You would center us once again on our own dependence, on our own need for the Gospel, Father, we want to cry out with genuine hearts, as Asaph cried out, not in this psalm, but in Psalm 73. We want to cry out that You are our portion. Father, we pray that You would give us grace to see Jesus in all His glory, that we might make that the cry of our hearts. 
that our worship and everything that we do, everything that we're about, might be filled with that gladness that we have and that genuine joy that is ours. Father, we need your grace. We need your spirit. And we cry out for it once again. Confident you will give to those who ask, to those who are humble, to those who are dependent. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.